if your parents told you not to do something that you believed in, what would you do? If I really believed in it and felt like it was the right thing, I would do it. But I would do it with a huge amount of anxiety because I'm a people pleaser and I want ultimately my parents to say I'm doing the right thing all the time, but that's just not going to be the case. I think it's the brave and right decision to move forward. What would you do? Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I mean, how can you live your life any other way, really? No, exactly. I mean, it's something I thought about when I was listening to this week's interview um, with Janet, who is a very successful restaurateur, mm-hmm. I think is the, the, the name for it. Restaurateur and entrepreneur. And entrepreneur, whose father was a very successful restaurateur, mm-hmm. who advised her against doing it for herself, even though it's something she felt very passionate about. And I know that it probably came from love because he didn't want her to suffer the stress and the things that, you know, if went wrong for him, but she forged ahead and has become super successful and has numerous restaurants. Yeah, it's insane. Like she's from Toronto, but she's recently opened up a restaurant in LA um, called Felix Trattoria and she's her own woman, like her own business. She, she doesn't have any backers. She's doing this all on her own. And I don't know how many restaurants she has now, like seven, eight or something like that. She's really built it up from scratch. She's very calculated in her approach and very business oriented, but so passionate too. And I think her dad's background, his Italian came over from Italy to Toronto and brought the first espresso machine to Canada, which blows my Fun mind. Fun fact, yes. Fun fact. But he, you know, I think it was a little bit more traditional. He didn't want to have like multiple restaurants and like growing his thing. Like he had his thing and he was comfortable in it. And, and you know, she had sort of bigger dreams and he, he couldn't see beyond that. And, but despite that, she kind of forged ahead. And I liked hearing her very practical way of going about it in terms of you have to know your numbers. What is your rent going to be? How much are you going to pay your staff? I always love hearing really practical stories of people who have started their own businesses because I feel like so often you hear people saying, oh, I really wanted to do this and then I did it and here I am. But I want to know how, like yeah. why. And it's obvious that she's so detail-orientated and that's why she's become yeah. so and location, successful. location, location, location. And of course. Um, I did ask her a question in it about, you know, how do you afford how do you see the future of a restaurant that you open? Like in my mind, I mean, restaurants kind of come and go and like there are some sort of staple neighborhood restaurants. And I was like, Oh, do you, do you sometimes open a restaurant and think it's going to last like seven, 10 years? But she was like, no, like I see it being a part of the neighborhood and like being open forever. I'm like, wow, that's, I never just, I never thought about that as a restaurant, but it is something that kind of grows and is alive. And why the hell would you open something to close it? You know? So that it was a really interesting interview with her, and this is our conversation with Janet Zuccarini. I have so many questions just about 
the business side of things, life in the restaurant business uh, specifically. But to kind of take it all the way back to your dad, who was an Italian immigrant who landed in Toronto. He was the first man to bring the espresso machine to Canada. Is that oh, right? You did your homework. Oh, look, I have to. I have to. This is good. Yeah. I like this already. <laughs> but what I found so intriguing about that whole scenario specifically, and he started a business, or several, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but how does a man who just came over from Italy set up shop in Toronto and, you know, become successful and raise his family there? He moved from Abruzzo, like farmland, to Rome as a 14-year-old because he wanted more than farm life for himself. And then he started working, started working in the finest hotels, and then he moved to London and worked in the finest hotels in London. And just, uh, you know, came the opportunity to go to Canada, you know, the land of opportunity, Canada or, or the States, and he chose Canada. He landed in Toronto, and it was dirt roads and nothing going on. He went to Mexico City, opened a restaurant there, and it was a very popular restaurant, and then came back to Toronto and was deciding whether Toronto was ready for, for the restaurant machine. scene, <laughs> for an espresso machine, and, and a restaurant that, you know, restaurants that he was seeing in Rome, in London, in Mexico. So he was really the first to, A, uh, he had a cafe with the first espresso machine in Canada, then he had the first uh, wood-burning pizza oven. So on the second floor, first floor was all cafe, espresso machine, like you would see in Italy. Second floor was a pizzeria with the first wood-burning pizza oven. Third floor was finer dining, like steaks, finer dining on the third floor. And he was also the first to put in heated patios in Toronto. Wow, so game changer. <laughs> yeah, so, and you need that in, in yeah. Toronto. So he was a pioneer based on his travels and what he had seen, and it was wildly successful. That's going to be a long story, but bad partnership. Mm -hmm. He got out of the restaurant business and decided, you know, to stick with the espresso coffee machine business and really introduce Canada to coffee culture. That's amazing. And that's his claim to fame. <laughs> and this was like back when? The 50s, 60s? Yeah, 1954. 1954. <laughs> and now coffee culture is everywhere. Everyone's into it. Yeah. And when I worked uh, for him as a kid, because, you know, when Italians have kids, you work for them at a very young age, right? And um, I, I was, as a 12-year-old, doing, you know, a variety of different trade shows, and nobody had ever heard of what a cappuccino was. They'd be like, what is this? And... What's well, a cappuccino? What is it? It's made. It's a, the espresso-based. What is espresso? Like the amount of conversations I had, where nobody even had heard of espresso like when I was a kid, espresso or cappuccino, and to see where we are today with coffee culture is just amazing to me. I mean, I can't even imagine that. Like, I can't even imagine that, like somebody not knowing what cappuccino, Canada not knowing what a cappuccino yeah, is. That's yeah. crazy. It was like he was like, "We're gonna do this one cappuccino at a time." We're doing this. Wow. And he did it. So then, but then when you went into the restaurant business, he had some hesitancy around that. So how did you overcome his vision for you and what you wanted to do? Well, as I said, you know, Italians really have kids to, uh, traditionally, you know, in Italy, Italians have kids to work on the farm. And that was my father's vision. He started a business. Uh, he was very disappointed that he had all girls but he wanted the girls in the business. 
and I really tried hard to work in his in his business but he his mentality was a little too old school and he wanted to stay very small and I had bigger vision for the company but he's like no no we're gonna like this is good we're gonna stay small and I, I gave it my best shot to work in his company but um, I, I just couldn't get him to see the company to expand in the way that I wanted to expand and this opportunity came for me to open up a restaurant in Toronto uh, he advised me against it because it went he had a sour partnership um, when he you know opened his restaurant so he didn't want that for me and I was going into partnership and uh, he just thought like all partnerships end in a bad way and I agree so, so like to a certain degree I'm like eh, that can be true but um, he was very upset that I did not listen to him and so like he did not talk to me for about a year that sounds heartbreaking yeah yeah and he only came to my restaurant once <laughs> What was it about that that you were like, well, no, I need to keep going despite causing friction with my family? I wasn't happy selling espresso coffee machines and restaurant equipment, although I learned so much in that business. I felt it was a bit of a desk job, and I'm not 9 to 5, and I'm an entrepreneur. So my father had this incredible entrepreneurial spirit. I know that I have that from him. And I just wanted to do my own thing, which meant like no ceilings, no limits. You know, he, he was my father, he was also my boss, telling me no. It was a, like every day I, I faced a no when I thought I had these great ideas. So I was like, you know what, I, I have to do my own thing because I have this burning desire inside of me. And because you were raised with the food and, you know, your dad's business was in that area, I guess it, it makes sense that it would be restaurants. Did you ever think outside of that or you like step away from that completely? Well, the restaurant business fell into my lap. I, I studied in uh, Rome and I did my undergrad in business and I did my MBA. All I knew is one day I'm going to work for myself, but I didn't know at that point it would be the restaurant business. I loved food and I started cooking for myself and you know, we ate very well at home in Toronto, but I didn't think I would open up a restaurant. And when the opportunity to become a partner in this restaurant that was under construction, which was known as Cafe Nervosa at that time, I, I did not see it coming. And I just kind of saw an opportunity, said yes. And the end result is I married two passions that I didn't really know at that time. That's amazing. You know, I knew that business, being an entrepreneur was a passion. I knew that I loved cooking and food and Italian food. Never put the two together to put the business and the restaurant together. But when the opportunity presented itself, I was a yes. And then I was like, my gosh, I married two passions and I didn't know it. So then back in that, at the very beginning, what does it mean to be a partner? If somebody's approaching you, I, for me, I'm just like, is that that's, sounds like a lot of money <laughs> and stress. Like, what does that mean exactly? You know, the uh, two guys were under construction for this restaurant that um, I knew the location very well. I just kind of met them a little bit, like on the street and... They knew about my background and about my father and that I had lived in Italy and they like they said just be our partner. And I thought they were joking and we got into more serious conversations and two weeks later I owned a condo, sold the condo, took the money out of the condo, threw it all into the restaurant to become a partner because I had to, you know, buy shares in that company and then moved back home with my parents 
at the age of 30. I left home when I was 18 and then I moved back home when I was 30 to save money and use up, you know, the money that was in my home to become a partner in this, in this business. Were you terrified? No, I wasn't terrified. I saw it as a good, I saw it as a good opportunity and, um, I believed in it. I was a little bit more terrified. I didn't know these guys that I was going into business with and it all ended up in a very bad way. Good for me in the end, but it was another one of these stories of, you know, an awful partnership. What about the fact that you're 30 and moving back in with your parents? I was working 16 hours a day back then and I would just barely be able to drive myself home and crash on my little tiny bed that you know, that I slept in as a kid. I'm like, I cannot believe I'm 30 years old in like almost like a kid's room in a way. How long was uh, it until you got out of that? I lived there the first year that I opened the restaurant. Mm -hmm. That's all I could bear. Yeah, no, it's just, it's not, you know, you can't go back to your parents' yeah. house and listen to their rules. And I'm just like, you know what? No, but I had to do it. I'm happy they let me back in the house. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fortunate. But yeah, the one year to get out, of, get out of the family house again and just start, get, get my own house. I read somewhere that you, you said the key to success uh, numbers so what are some decisions you've made in business based on the, those numbers, whether they were tough decisions or good decisions? Just looking at every location and understanding, A, if I'm going to buy the building or if I'm going to lease the building. You have to know your percentages, uh, you know, what your revenue, what, your revenue what, you, what you project your revenue to be, and then your lease or your rent has to be a, you know, basically 6% of your revenue. You have to understand if you, know, you can make those numbers work. And that means, you know, you have to see a certain amount of people. You have to turn your tables a certain amount of times. You have to understand locations and, and get your projections right. And a lot of people don't really understand. They're not realistic with their projections or they don't even know what are the industry averages where your numbers have to fall into place. So it's literally just you have to know how to plug in your numbers mm -hmm. and do projections properly. But that takes a little bit of experience. And when I meet with people sometimes and... I, I, okay, what's your rent? Okay. And I said, what do you think you're going to do in sales? Well, I'm going to do this number. Okay. I said, well, that means you're going to see, you need to see 1000 people through your doors in a day. Do you think you can do that? And they're like, well, no way. I go, well, that's, these are the numbers. <laughs> like you have to be realistic. How many people, how many turns, what's my revenues, what's my revenue going to be? And then everything is plugging in. Okay. Rent is going to be 6% of, re of revenue. Uh, you know, what your food costs are, what your labor costs are. You have to know, you have to know your numbers and be realistic with your projections. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people just don't know at all the numbers. Right. So then when you're opening a restaurant, are you opening it with a time span in mind? You know, I know some restaurants last for a really long time, but you know, then there are the ones that have been around forever and you're like, well, it closed, like that's crazy. So do you ever open a restaurant thinking, okay, I'll give it, you know, 10 years maybe, and then we're going to, like, cut out at that point and close, shut. Yeah, not my model. My model is to go into a neighborhood that's usually up and coming and then become a fixture in that neighborhood, a uh, neighborhood staple. So that happened with my first restaurant. Nervosa has been there 21 years, and we've become a fixture in that neighborhood, offering good value food, good food at a good price point. That's kind of the model for me to have longevity. The second restaurant, Gusto, was also um, a neighborhood that was up and coming, 
and again came in there to be to be a fixture. That one's six years old, but I see it lasting really. I don't know how many years, but a fixture is a fixture. I don't ever see them actually closing. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and the Thai restaurants as well, Pie and Kin. uh, I just don't see them going away. And now with Felix uh, being a part of the Venice neighborhood, I, I. see it being here as a fixture in this neighborhood as well. Felix is an interesting one um, because of Abbott Kinney. Like it, I feel like, I mean, I don't really know, but in my opinion, it's already established. It's not so much up and coming. No, it's, it's not, but it's um, changing a lot. The street is changing a lot. And our end of Abbott Kinney, we're closer to Main Street, we're, co- we're closer to Brooks Avenue, was kind of the sleepy end of that street. So it was kind of, um, Abakini ended a little early and then was dead zone. And so I want to revitalize that side of Abakini. That's where I saw the opportunity. And I feel like it's happening. I just went there last night. Another new restaurant opened up two doors down from us and it was pumping. And I'm like, this side of, this side of the street is busy now. There was, it was a ghost town yeah. before we opened there restaurants opening up next door how does that make you feel <laughs> makes me feel great yeah you know brings more people in like talking talking about the neighborhood talking about that part of the streets uh no i'm i'm all for good competition and great restaurants i think just better restaurants bring better people in to experience more restaurants yeah what about the future of dining in general or the dining experience do you think that's going to evolve where I see the biggest growth is with fast casual. So more and more people are eating out, but they would like to have a higher quality of fast casual. So I see this, it's not, it's not a gap, it's starting to fill this gap of a bit higher end fast casual, where you can actually sit down and enjoy a meal at a better price point. And that, as a business model, is going to be easier to scale. So that's I'm interested in taking a concept, and it's probably going to be, you know, from Felix and doing a fast casual Italian concept that we can scale, you know, and open 100, 200, 300 locations, as opposed to it took me two years to open up Felix and millions of dollars, and it's very labor intensive. It's it's a big commitment on all levels to open up a restaurant at that level which is great, and now I've done it a few times, but I'm also looking for new challenges and interesting business opportunities. So to me, elevated fast casual is a sweet spot in business. You make the big decisions. <laughs> how, yeah. how do you balance like the excitement of being the person who ultimately makes the decisions and the repercussions of those decisions? Like, How, how do you balance that? Um, it's gotten... A lot easier the more that I trust my gut. In the earlier days, you question yourself. First of all, you're young, you're new in business, you, you listen to a lot of feedback. But once you do it one time, two times, three times, and you see like, I know I'm successful, this is, go- this is going well, you start to trust yourself more. So life becomes, life in general becomes easier if you gain from your wisdom and if you're quiet enough to listen, to be able to hear your internal voice. I think we all have our answers inside of us. Are you quiet enough to really hear those answers? So I've gotten just faster and quicker with the decision-making process. 
I know when I need to listen to people and when it's just really my, my decision. I don't need to waste people's time and asking for opinions. Uh So I move faster. I trust myself. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. And that comes with experience. And, um, you know, when you have the, some things that are proven success, you gain confidence in your life and in, in work. Was there a decision that you made when you were younger or less experienced that you look back on and still like makes you cringe? Tons. <laughs> so many. I've made so many mistakes. And every time I was like, oh gosh, I'm, thank, I'm so thankful I don't have to answer to anyone but myself because I'd be so embarrassed right now. You know, a ton of mistakes. But I don't think you can have regrets because even if I went through hard times with two partners, which I opened Nervosa with, that ended up... in kind of disastrous but in the end I feel like I came out the winner that time was very hard for me but I wouldn't have learned the lessons I wouldn't have known what I'm looking for or not looking for in partners in the future it taught me so many lessons so I think that if you go through some hard times and you make some bad decisions and then you learn from it and, and try not to make that mistake again I think the universe Will keep hitting you like with the same lessons if you believe in that like I believe in that yeah I feel like you'll get the same lesson over and over again until like did you learn it do you get to you know pass go here so lots of lots of mistakes tons of mistakes I feel like you're probably lucky that that was your first experience because if you like kind of went the other way where it was like very very successful and then a lot later you had a really shitty experience with a partner it might be harder to come back to it, but if that was like your first experience, like you can only go up from there. I think so. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful I had that, and I think that was, a, that was a huge wake-up call for me, but I couldn't have done it any other way. You know, my, at the end of the day, my father is looking down from the heavens going, I was right! I told you the partnership would end in a shitty way. But I'm like, I couldn't have gone through that without these partners, and they taught me really valuable life lessons. So I don't think you learn anything in life when the times are good. Good times don't really stretch you. You go through a hard time, and it's unfortunate that I think life works that way, but I think it's the truth. You stretch yourself when you go through hard times. That's something I've been learning a lot, especially this last year where, yeah, I had some shitty things, and I could, as I was going through them as hard as they were, I just saw the growth potential in me, and that was really exciting, and that's sort of what got me through it, and I think it's when at the end of it, why I bounced back so quickly, because I was like, oh, this was a huge learning experience. But I wonder if you can flip that and take a moment through the good times or the happy times and see what you're learning in those two. I mean, I never do that. I don't know if that's like worth doing. Have you ever thought about that? Between 2017 and 2018, um, where I'm seeing the fruition of my last two years of work with myself and my entire team as we're growing this company, we're getting really, really great accolades that I have to, I want to, I want to take a moment and celebrate that as well. But it's also just like keeping it cool and keeping it super humble that you don't want to get wrapped up in some great press that, that is starting to come out and some attention coming my way and for the restaurant group and for all the restaurants. You want to just um, keep it in balance Always, like no matter what's going on in your life, I don't want to put like heavy meaning towards some of the accolades that we're getting, but also take a moment to, to celebrate and enjoy that. 
Yeah, I think that's super important. And yeah. it's so easy to just say, oh, no big deal. No big deal. But it's also being like, no, you know what? We did do something great. Yeah. It's, it's like with my team, I'm like, high five. Like, yeah. I want to celebrate with them. And that's that's good because it's been such a such a team effort. And it's and it's been fun. And it's it's worth celebrating. And also, just after we celebrate, okay, back back to life. And what are we doing here? Not taking it too seriously or... You know, the, it's it's really like that that ego can can fly up high, and I, I never I never want that. We're not saving lives at the end of the day, so keep it keep it all <laughs> in perspective. Right. Now, pe- the restaurant business is kind of like a funny thing where people want to know you to get into the restaurant to get a seat. So there's a lot of people out there kissing your ass in a way. And people around me, they see that and they, they're like, I can't stand the way people kiss your ass, Janet. <laughs> and so you take that, you have to always recognize that and keep that in balance and recognize that that is happening generally because people do want things from you. It mm-hmm. D- doesn't matter what you do in life. People want to get a seat in a restaurant and it, it's a trendy hot restaurant. They want to know you and they, they want to do favors for you. Or it, You have to keep all that in balance. So when you see that happening, like, what makes you be like, okay, I will give that person a seat in the restaurant, even though I know what they're doing? It's hard because, you know, you have to be, um, be careful that, you know, that you're, you want to treat people equally, that they can come into the restaurant and, and get seats. But now we have certain policies because I get asked a lot for seats in the restaurant. Felix has been incredibly popular and every night we have a 200 person wait list oh. again knock on knock on wood and people can't get in so i have people reaching out to me offering me some you know crazy things just oh to be God. able to <laughs> they might operate a, a service a business like a con- concierge service for high net worth individuals and offering me that for free offering me wow. you know come out on my yacht, offering me... Uh, what a compliment. <laughs> yeah, it's just... It, it's very different in L.A., actually. Yeah. I, I can't say that I get this in Toronto. Yeah. L.A. is like... It's, it's kind of interesting. The, we, the restaurant holds... I mean, Felix, we hold one or two tables for my friends and family because I, I'm going to get a lot of requests. So I do help out certain people to get to get a table, but try and just also manage that very carefully mm-hmm. as, you know, we want to keep the system very fair. But there's always the friends and family that, that, to have, that have to have some access to the restaurant. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to go on that yacht too. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you got to experience that. Exactly. If this is my 15 minutes of fame, I'm cashing it in. Yeah. Um, I had a question and it kind of ties back to what you said earlier in terms of the partnership and coming out of business school and stuff like that. So at the point you are now in your success and you've got the restaurant group and you've got several restaurants um, here and in Toronto, looking back, how much of it was decisions that you made to get here and how much of it was just things fell into place or luck? I mean, the example at the beginning was that you didn't know it was going to be the restaurant business and that sort of just kind of came together. I'd almost say 50-50, I feel. I feel that... A lot of work and effort goes into making what I've made happen in my life and going out there. And uh, I think you have to have grit and you have to be unstoppable to be successful in anything that you do. And a lot is, I think, opportunities come at you and you have to recognize, is this the right opportunity? But I think they're coming all the time if you're open to it. 
you have to recognize that this is a, a good opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just in business, a lot of things have fallen into my lap. Great opportunities. I feel it's been very. I've been in the flow in in my career. It's mm-hmm. happened very easily for me in a way. A lot backed with a lot of hard work that never feels like work when you're doing your passion. So it's, the lines are a little bit blurred for me. Did you have any moments where you're like, nah, I'm out of this, I'm done? In the partnership in the first four years where I was working every position in my restaurant 16 hours a day, I'd walk home some days and I couldn't see straight. I was so, so exhausted where I understand why, you know, there's a lot of people in the restaurant business doing coke and I'm like I get it you're so tired but I'm I'm doing like ginseng shots like I'm <laughs> I'm so healthy you know you need an, an impo- almost an impossible amount of energy to keep that keep up with the restaurant business and the hours open seven days a week and it was a horrible partnership and I woke up one day and I said I need out and I I'm not happy I loved it until I didn't love it anymore until I was exhausted and I knew there was a smarter way of working so it was getting myself out of the partnership and working in a smarter way and hiring people and not me being the technician inside my business where I couldn't see the, you know, the forest through the trees. I needed to flip that around. It was like, do I end this or do I change the way that I'm working? And it was, I'm going to change the way that I work. But I was, I was ready to walk away from it all. But, wait, but you wanted to keep in the restaurant business after that. You weren't like, you know what, try a different business altogether. No, I, I wanted to stay in that business, but... That the way that I was working had to change. I read a few interviews with you online, which were super interesting. Obviously, I got a lot of information. But a theme that kind of came through a lot of them was not from you. was actually from the interviewer that really pissed me off, actually. <laughs> a lot of them were referring to you um, as a girl. They would describe um, your physique. One guy even talked about your, re- referred to your interview as a date. And I was just like, what, like, what, do you get that a lot? And how do you deal with that? Just, it's always pointed out, oh, you're a woman in this business. Like, hey, cool. How about just, here's a person in this business that's successful. Yeah, I'm so used to it. I almost, when I opened Nervosa and I was 30, because I'm petite, uh, I looked, especially when I was 30, I looked a lot younger. So A, could never convince anyone that I was the owner, you know, they just didn't believe that. And it was always like, oh, you and your husband, you and your family, your father. And then a lot of rumors that my father bought me the biz- bought me the business. It was never to be believed that I put my own money in. And although he did loan me money to, I mean, he gave me money to buy a condo. My father gave me that. And that's what I sold to then buy into the partnership. But nobody ever believed that I did this on my own and I, I kind of built it from nothing and to this day I people are always like you yeah you and your partners and who's who's backing you and who are your partners and I'm like no no it's, no it's me I mean I have partners in certain restaurants but as a restaurant group it's just me and I have no partners and I have no backers and I purchased most of my real estate and they can't they don't believe any of that they're always thinking there's a man behind it whether it has to be my husband or you know, if it was my father that started this all for me. So it's I, my entire career, I've been used to it. And I, I kind of laugh at it and I use it to my advantage. It's been when people see me as kind of like coming in as weaker, I've you turned that around to my strength. 
they view me a little bit as an underdog and in negotiations I've I've gone very far with playing to them thinking I'm the underdog but even at this point with like all the restaurants and the restaurant group people are still like yeah you know poor poor little Janet yeah I, I still definitely I still get it it could be a little bit less as a little bit more press is is coming out people are starting to believe it but there's still a backstory that I people don't don't believe me don't believe that I've kind of built this on my own a woman in this male dominated industry it's so it's the restaurant business is so male dominated and not only male dominated but it's usually males with a lot of partners usually like five guys and then then there's a lot of backers behind the five guys mm -hmm. to be a woman no backers you know is I don't know it's an anomaly hmm. so I, I get it why people find that it's that it's so strange it doesn't really exist out in the restaurant business are there other, well, I'm sure there are other women. Have you, have you seen more of them come up? Definitely female chefs. Definitely females who own restaurants. A female who owns a restaurant group, I don't know. I, I, I have not encountered another mm. female owning a restaurant group yet. Wow. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How does that make you feel? Being like you're the one that you know doing this. I feel that if I can be an example for other women, that's what drives me, you know, that anything's possible. So I'm doing this as an example in my own business, being the restaurant business, but I'm not, I'm not special. I didn't, you know, but I think, you know, we've got to break the glass ceiling here for women in this, in this industry. Looking to the year ahead, plans or even beyond if there's something on your mind, but what do you sort of see for yourself for the next year, personally or professionally? In a month, I open a Jamaican restaurant, Chubby's Jamaican Kitchen, across the street from my restaurant, Gusto 101. And this is, without partners, I'm just doing a whole new cuisine, and I have have this affinity for Jamaica and reggae music, and I'm going to be opening, hopefully, this great transporting experience of a restaurant in Toronto. So that opens in November. Uh, we broke ground for another restaurant. Another, it's actually another Gusto in the east end of Toronto. So next year that opens. Then I'm good for Toronto right now, and I want to expand uh, in LA with my chef and my partner Evan Funky. He's an unbelievable uh, talent in the kitchen, and a great guy, great guy all around. And I want to proliferate around California <laughs> with him. We have a fast casual concept, the Italian fast casual concept, that we want to open a flagship and then scale that one, and um, lots of other different restaurant ideas, but we want I want to grow with Evan in California. That sounds incredible. Yeah. Good luck, and good luck yeah. with the opening of the restaurant. Thank you. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me.